0: Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really.
1: Fans are going to the World Cup. Get over This fellow Ronaldo is a cop.
0: Boom, 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 the foul. Boom, 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 yellow
1: card. Nah, that's actually a sir. to i use language. And and I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I
2: don't draw teacups. It's not my style. I think i the of punches. What you
0: doing down here, you're showing me,
2: man? Hello, and welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast with me, Ken, and you, Kieran. Hello there, Kenny. Um... I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, did you ask me how I was? No, I just Wasn't said hello. Really but I, <laughs> I am
3: always interested, Ken, in finding out how you are.
2: How are you, Ken? I'm good. I'm good, and you? Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to getting some reading done over the next little while. Okay. Um, although I'm, I'm impatient. I'm a little bit impatient because I've heard about it, the publishing phenomenon of 2016.
3: What's that name? Books about, about. Oh, sorry.
2: Uh, but, well, actually, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of Trump stuff out there. There's a really interesting article with his, uh, the guy who no, wrote I The Art of the Deal. <laughs> I read
3: it. It's, it's unbelievable.
2: Good. Uh, yeah, that's 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 definitely worth uh, checking out. I mean, obviously, Donald Trump wrote The Art of the Deal. Mm. But this guy was the guy who actually, you know, wrote it, Yeah. so to speak.
3: I mean, if you've lived it, then you've wrote it, really, isn't it?
2: Uh, written it. Uh,
3: you have wrote it, written it. So if you've lived it, you've written
2: it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Donald Trump wrote it with his life, and then this guy Tony Schwartz Mm. actually wrote it down on paper. Yeah, and uh, and it became. I didn't realize it was such a phenomenal best. It was like thirteen weeks number one New York Times bestseller list. That's unbelievable. Mm. Um, Although you know, how could you really? How could you be surprised at another uh, success? But that's yeah, that's worth reading. But that's not the football publishing phenomenon of twenty sixteen because that. His books about Leicester City, Leicester City, the primary. You, you might well, remember it's certainly
3: worth a book. You know, I mean, are there many books?
2: Yeah, there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, I think there's six uh, coming out in the next little while. I know there's one with uh, Claudia Ranieri. Okay. Uh, with uh, I think Gabriel Marcotti. Uh, oh well that, well, that could be good. Gabriel Marcotti is doing the Tony Schwartz on that sure. one, uh, and then there's Jamie Vardy has a book coming out. Stuart James. Uh, who is the brilliant uh, Guardian correspondent who was covering uh, Leicester City? Is doing that one with Variety. so that could be good too.
3: Chat shit, get banged.
2: Yeah, the well, give me story. I don't know if, the, if that's what they're going to call it, but the thing—the thing about it is that the Leicester story seems actually only to have reached the halfway point, or slightly just past the halfway point, mm. uh, because what we're now seeing is part two of the Leicester story. As the team breaks up and everyone runs for the hills. Yeah. <laughs> um, not quite everyone, obviously. Uh, Jamie Vardy is still there. And um, and he's decided to stay there. He signed a new contract. He turned down the move to Arsenal. But N'Golo Kante is gone. He is in gone to Chelsea, uh, where he will uh, join up with Antonio Kante. He put a big post on Instagram Uh, where he he said, I mean, it was in French and English, but the English version reads, the 2015-2016 past season will remain as an important season for me, (laughs) which is about as anticlimactic a summation as is possible. I mean, it's literally, it's like Euro goals roundup narrator. It will remain as an important season. (laughs) After a fantastic season, it ended with a final of Euro 2016. We lost, but we can be proud. Um, I wanted to say thank you to the French people. The fervour of the French people has given us strength. Um, And he mentions uh, that he wants to uh, post a sincere thought for all the victims and their families of the attack that struck in Nice on July 14th. He mentions then that this season I also discovered the Premier League with at LCFC. I want to thank the leaders, my teammates, and Claudio Ranieri for this fantastic season that saw us winning the title of England. Their confidence and also the fans will forever remain in my memory. And again, I thank you all. But at the beginning of the new season, I, cho- I chose to join at Chelsea FC. It is a great club which has just recruited a great coach, and I want to reach great uh, and want to reach high ambitions. I share the club's project and the co- coach's speech have convinced me to join this ambitious new adventure. I'm now waiting to see my new club and give everything for a successful summer and season, of course. So. Uh, Can't say the probably most important player. I mean, was Vardy the most important player? Was Marius? Okay, the three of them were, each of them was the most important Mm -hmm. player for Leicester in different ways. Has joined Chelsea. The fee is 29 million. It's a fantastic price. I mean, when you look at some of the, it seems as though 30 million pounds is like a, just a standard Premier League transfer now. To sign, you know, the outstanding, destructive midfielder Mm -hmm. in the, in the Premier League for that price is, uh, pretty amazing deal by Chelsea.
3: Yeah, in a weird kind of way, is it? Is he the the Leicester player most likely to have replicated what he did last season, next season? Well, I thought, I mean... Is that uh, very unfair on Mahrez and Vardy? I mean, it kind of seemed like the two of them were having seasons that were just... Of their lives. Yeah.
2: I don't see them doing it again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, w- whereas with Kante, when he was... Uh, I was interested to watch him with France. Now, he obviously ended up getting dropped out of the French team. Um, he came off at halftime against Ireland... And didn't get back into the starting team, uh, and yeah, that was that. So it could have gone a little bit better for him on a personal level. But I thought in the first game against Romania, he was probably their best player. Mm. I mean, France hadn't, hadn't really played that well, um, but I thought he looked okay. Here's here is Kante now a, playing, you know, with a lot more pressure on him, I guess, with a lot more eyes on him. Um, not really, to be fair. Leicester City had the entire world watching them in the last few games of the season. But, you know, here he is playing for a bigger team, I guess. How is he going to look playing alongside Stars, you know, Pogba and so on? And the answer was brilliant. He just looked brilliant. Uh, he looked like exactly the same player. So I don't really see any reason why he can't do for Chelsea what he was doing for Leicester. Um, Claudio Ranieri has actually been speaking about this. Uh, he's done an interview at Gazeta Della Sport and he sounds a bit disappointed, actually. He says, It can happen you lose an important component of your squad, but I had hoped everybody would have stayed and listened to my advice, which was for us all to experience this Champions League adventure together. Then everyone would have been free to do something different next summer. But I do realize a, cl- a call from a club like Chelsea cannot leave you indifferent. He um, left Vardy indifferent. Uh, Ranieri speaks about Vardy. He says he delivered a sign for everybody. He could have gone to Arsenal, earned more money and taken the last opportunity to join a club with global appeal. Instead, he preferred to stay in Leicester and his decision is like Gigi Riva. You've got to thank Vardy for this. Gigi Riva, he refers to um, Riva, who is actually the the record goal scorer for the Italian national team who played his entire career for Cagliari or almost his entire career... You know he he I forget who he was playing for before, but he joined Caldera at an early point and then stayed there, obviously not the biggest club in Italy, but just mm-hmm. wasn't interested in going anywhere anywhere else um
3: Batistuta left Fiorentina eventually, didn't he?
2: He went to Roma yeah and won the title eventually yeah. um having scored a lot of goals I think they got relegated as well one season and he and he stayed today. am I imagining that um but he definitely stayed there for a long time and scored a lot of goals, but Fiorentina you know were were I think a bigger a bigger club than Cattery. I mean, it's kind of bizarre. It's it's maybe a bit more like Leicester because Cattery did win the title one season, uh, largely thanks to Riva, who remains the record scorer of the Italian national team with how many goals? You almost heard what I. You've heard the first letter of what I was saying. 30, Thirty-seven, of 35 course. thirty-five goals. Oh
3: well, sorry, I counted two games again. You know, they were actually they weren't <laughs> capped.
2: Yeah, army games or whatever. Yeah. Uh, now, thirty-five is not a lot, but uh, but the thing is that there aren't too many Italian strikers who get nearly one hundred and fifty caps, so they end up with lower uh, lower totals in the goals column as well. Um, but you know, it, it, it's it's a big dilemma, I think for for uh, for footballers. I mean, for Leicester, there's speculation now as to what Riyad Mahrez is going to do. Is he going to stick around? Is he gonna sign a new contract? to supposedly giving him a new one, but maybe I mean because it's like, should I continue with this thing, which is a, which is a, this is a team which has been amazing, and do something that's never been done before? Go play in the Champions League with Leicester and pff, win the Champions League? Or do a strike while the iron is hot, take yeah. the contract offer from Chelsea, move up to higher ground, move up to what, you know, I mean the Chelsea finished how far behind Leicester last season, miles miles back. Um,
3: <laughs> Move up to, I won't ever have to do the after-dinner circuit in Leicester City.
2: He wouldn't have anyway, level. though. See, this is the point. Leicester could have paid him a lot. I mean, you know, six million a year, they probably could have paid him that. Maybe he's earning even more than that with Chelsea. I mean, Leicester are, playing, are paying Vardy something like that now. So he's kind of financially okay. But the question is, should Vardy have gone to play us? I mean, who knows what Vardy was thinking of? Vardy... You know, the 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 thing that everyone was saying about it was why would Jamie Vardy go to Arsenal when they play a different type of football from Leicester? Uh, he plays for a counter-attacking team at Leicester. There's loads of space for him to run into. Uh, with Arsenal, they've got the ball a lot. It's a bit more congested around the penalty area. You know, would he fit in there? Would he just be kind of fish out of water? Which is, okay, reasonable enough analysis, although I happen to disagree with it. I think he could have succeeded for a team like Arsenal. The question is more... Should Vardy not have wanted to go and prove himself at a bigger club? Because Arsenal yeah. is a bigger club. I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, he's won the title. You could say he's proved himself. He's proved himself one of the outstanding players of his era. He's won the league with a team that nobody thought could win the league. You know, he was not quite top scorer in the league, but not far off. Got into his national team, scored in the European Championships. You know, he's he's proved himself a quality player. But does he maybe lack a little bit of belief that he could actually go on to prove himself at one of the biggest clubs in the country?
3: Yeah, I mean, yeah, like that—that's it. I mean, I don't think you're you've necessarily made your mind up on it either. I mean, it is a strange dilemma that uh, that a footballer has to try and think their way through. I mean, it's like. Do you know, it's like a it's like a marriage that you don't know is over until you decide it's over, mm. and you realize, oh yeah, this marriage was actually over three years ago. Yeah. I mean, like, how does a footballer actually know that the whole thing is? I mean, is it is it more or less likely that Leicester are going to win the league next year as it was this time last year?
2: Did Ranieri said something about that? I think what Ranieri said essentially was, "Well, you know, it's 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 so difficult to um, retain the league. You know, if we were five thousand to win last season, we should be six thousand to win this season." um something along those lines. I I don't think Ranieri's I don't think Ranieri's promising anyone that Leicester are going to retain oh, the their league. title, you know. Yeah,
3: every, like, everything he he said is kind of let's go play in the Champions League together as well as to let's go retain the Premier League title. You yeah. know, it's kind of a different it's a different I mean, which is absolutely fair enough. I mean, you've performed a sporting miracle. Uh is it still a sporting miracle if you go and do it two years in a row? Yeah. I mean,
2: it will be. But, you know, I find that the players who, who do what Vardy has done, you know, in one sense, Vardy is low. I'm sure lesser fans are delighted. Vardy's still here, you know. he Some of them might even think he's here because he loves the club. Maybe he even does love the club, at least a little bit. Yeah. Or at least think, wow, this is the club for me. This is the, this is the place where I'm happy. You know, the team plays for me. I do really well here. This is where I should be. You know, the, not get distracted by yeah. the... You know, Maybe
3: it's a very uncomplicated decision in his head. Yeah. I'm happy here,
2: therefore... Why would I Why yeah. would I mess things up by joining Arsenal and sitting on the bench next to Arsene Wenger?
3: It's the Alex Ferguson, the cow in the next field, Wayne.
2: Yeah. But the thing is that players who, who do make decisions which appear to be guided by loyalty like that just end up being mocked by history as as too chicken to go and, and really, mm. you know... It's it's kind of it's like on one level you're kind of and on another level it's like oh well you know a lot of people really are that guy seriously yeah
3: a lot of people are very quick to to praise you know God Ryan Giggs stayed at Manchester United all those years <laughs> yeah yeah because he's win the league every year you know <laughs> yeah. it's like if that's the only antidote to people you know uh, bemoaning your lack of ambition
2: yeah if you win the title year then you, you I mean can't
3: Ryan Giggs could have gone to Juventus and proved himself to be one of the you know best players in Europe in a diff- totally different league. But, I mean, no one really cares about that.
2: Yeah. Antonio Conte, uh, the new manager of, of uh, N'Golo Kante, um, has been speaking as well. Um, I mean, <laughs> I, I'd love to know what Eden Hazard was thinking as he watched the... In fact, he played against Italy in the Euros, but just watching uh, the way that Antonio Conte would go on at players who God knows what it was they weren't doing but the way that he would react to them and I wondered was he think did he allow at any point his thoughts to drift to what awaited him uh, once he got back to Chelsea and had to do a bit of pre-season and then had to do those first few testing Premier League games with his new manager
3: Luckily my work rate and mental fortitude are beyond reproach <laughs> so this should be an entirely comfortable season for me working under Mr. Conte
2: Yeah Um We know we have fantastic players who have great talent, but, says Antonio Conte, Eden Hazard never like sentences that begin that way. There are players with talent, but, um, in this moment the world doesn't think they're the same level as Messi, Suarez, Neymar, Ronaldo or Pogba. In our squad there are players who, with work, can improve and reach this level. The player must understand that there is the ability to work, to prove and to show that. Now I am a top player, but I want to become top, top, top and want to stay there. I will always give education and respect, but I demand the same for all the people that work with me. Um, if you don't, this is taught to me by my family, to give education and respect to all people. If I don't have this, you are asking for trouble for a problem. So um, it's going to be a more respectful setup apparently at Chelsea this uh, this season with the squad all respecting the manager and showing it all the time with their work.
3: Respecting and, his authority, you mm, could say. say yeah.
2: don't, there could be one or two issues. Uh, Just a couple of things before we talk to John Brain. There was a best player in Europe poll. You know, this is all for the kind of UEFA gala, which is happening this season in, I think it's, is it Trondheim? Um, The the Champions League group stage draws in Monaco. I think the Super Cup is in uh, Trondheim this year. But the nominees for best player in Europe are this sort of usual predictable list of Barcelona, Real Madrid and Bayern Munich players, with the exceptions of Griezmann. Who makes it in from Atletico and Gigi Buffon, who had a good season with uh, with Juventus? He's in there. Um, Will Grigg uh, was in there, which uh, and this was actually a uh, Will Grigg was in the top fifty, uh, which is uh, or the top thirty, I should say. And this is a this is a poll which is done by journalists rather than the public. Uh, Will Grigg got as many votes as Diego Godín, Hugo Lloris. Giorgio Calini and... Uh, this
3: is from journalists.
2: Paul Pogba, yeah. So uh, I think there may or have been one or two journalists in there um, indicating their own contempt for <laughs> this award. It's so...
3: God, because I, mean, I was about to tell you that, you know, you know these polls are just... These, you know, open-to-fan polls, uh, teams selected a, in a that fashion. Or, time. Or, yeah, uh, That and, is interesting.
2: Yeah, no, I think it's it's. Uh, One little, little dirty protest. There is a lot of there's going to be obviously a lot of talk about transfers over the next little while. Oh, junk uh, junk food news! I should go to junk food news first because this was something that came up during the Euros in terms of uh, Jeff Hendricks uh, pizza. Mm. He wasn't, wasn't the only Iron Player eating pizza. A lot of them eating pizza and drinking beer, just a beer, whatever. Big deal, um, and a pizza after that uh, game when they beat Italy, uh, Guardiola has banned it at Manchester City. This is just a sign of how things had come. Uh, the technician, uh, this is uh, this is translated directly from AS, the Spanish newspaper, has imposed some other than Manuel Pellegrini was feeding, feeding practices. In Chile, it is customary to eat this kind of food after games, full of carbo- carbohydrates. Uh, but uh, Guardiola is saying no pizza after games. But also, he's in, he's doing something which he used to do at... Uh, Bayern, which is insist that all the players after a game, after a home game, have dinner together in the stadium. With you know, bring their bring your families or whatever. But all the players uh, should have dinner together after a match. Which when he tried to do it at Bayern was just everyone was like, "Are you serious? Are you are you serious? We have to. We work together all week. We're preparing for this game. We play the game." We do not want to sit down and have dinner with each other. I mean, it's nice, sure, it's great. I love, I love my teammates more than anyone in the world. But that's just the time of the week when I would like to see some mm. other, some of the other people in my life. It caused a few issues a little bit uh, at Bayern with players kind of dragging their heels. I think a lot of the players, you know, players went along with it. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, you kind of have to mm. do what he says. But they didn't like it. Um, He thought it was important because, well, to stay on top of the nutrition situation and also as a team bonding exercise, although I don't know how much of a...
3: It's a load of nerd nonsense. (laughs) Big Sam for England can't happen a moment too soon, if you ask me. We're
2: going to talk about Big Sam now in a second, but there's a couple of transfer things as well. Um, Liverpool have been trying to sign Mario Goetze, but it looks as though he's going to go back to Borussia Dortmund... Um, They'd also been looking for Zielinski, the Polish midfielder, but it looks as though he's going to join AC Milan. So now they seem to have turned their attention. It looks as though this deal is very much on. And to Jorginho Wijnaldum, um, the Dutch midfielder at Newcastle United, Newcastle obviously relegated to the championship. It looks as though they might let Vinaldum go for like 20 million, which is incredibly cheap for a Premier League transfer. Mm. You know, I don't know I do why they're discounting him to such an extent. Um it's a strange signing for Liverpool. Um, I would have thought he's a good athlete. This is a guy who was a gymnast uh, growing up before he was a football player. And you can see that. You can absolutely see that he is, he's is. he got that kind of gymnastic ability. He hasn't lost it. The question is, the football side, is it really at the level of the gymnastic side? Um, I'm not sure. But but uh, him and, and Mane, Mane as a player, has already signed for Liverpool, shows that Jurgen Klopp... Uh, is definitely going for a a physical kind of, you know, he wants players who are good athletes to begin with, uh, and we'll see how he manages to put them together. The other signing they were supposedly making was Ragnar uh, Klavan, uh, an Estonian defender who was one of the nine players remaining on the field when Ireland beat Estonia 4-0 in that playoff for Euro 2012. So uh, he'll be coming in to provide some defensive cover.
3: Yes, well, it uh, it takes a takes a village to win a Premier League title, I suppose, Ken.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, all the little characters of the village are uh, coming into place there. But we're going to uh, go over to the village of London, I think, <laughs> the, the sprawling um, uh, southeastern English village of London, to check in with John Bruin, uh, who has been uh, following what's been happening at uh, Manchester United this close season. John Jose Mourinho is installed. Um, and new signings have arrived. Among them, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He's already involved in some banter with uh, Eric Cantona over the last few days. Cantona warning Zlatan Ibrahimovic that he uh, could never be the king of Manchester, but maybe could be the prince. Zlatan retorting that he didn't want to be the king. He wants to be the god. This is all getting pretty nauseating pretty quickly. Uh,
1: Yeah, it's all a bit silly, really, isn't it? Um, I... (laughs) I think that the, the, the Ibrahimović thing, um, there is a danger that, that all the ego stuff could uh, cast a bit of a shadow over the early parts of the season. I think there are still quite a few people that might have doubts over his ability to perform in the Premier League, especially considering what I saw at Euro 2016, which you did too, where I don't think he was particularly impressive. Um, and as for Cantonar Um, Well, Cantona is, you know, a a godlike figure amongst Manchester United fans. Um, He, uh, you know, holds, you know, he's the the, the catalytic figure for when the club turned itself round. But do you know what? He's been a bit of a wally recently. And, you know, all these adverts that he appears in, and obviously I saw quite a lot of that type of thing when he was over in France, um, and uh, these type of pronouncements, I don't know.
2: I mean, there's a little bit of a sour taste. <laughs> it's a bit... Yeah, it's really strange to me that Eric Cantona, of all people, would be now doing it. I mean, maybe maybe in 10 years it's going to be Roy Keane uh, doing this kind of stuff, sitting there advertising whatever it is, with messages for the Manchester United fans. But I am amazed at Cantona, of all people, considering the circumstances in which he decided to retire and the fact that he sided the over-commercialization of his image at that time in the mid-90s, uh, for him to be coining it like this, it's just, it's grim.
1: Well, I suppose, you know, I suppose the bloke's got to make money, uh, he has a divorce behind him, things like that, he probably has an expensive lifestyle, um, you know, uh, he is a, you know a, a guy who proclaims himself as a socialist but there's nothing wrong with being a rich socialist either you know he does devote time to uh, many charities involving homeless people and poor people all that type of thing but yeah he does seem to not care about the fact that when he appears in these adverts he makes a bit of a pillock of himself Um, and it does sully a little bit you know this this paragon that cantonar was back in that mid-90s period and as you say, the, 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 the way in which he, he walked away from the game, talking about the over-commercialization, that really rang true with football fans at the time because we couldn't have imagined just how commercial the game would go at that point, but it was certainly heading in that direction.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, what about a man who's never had any problem with the over-commercialization of the game, to my knowledge, it's Jose Mourinho, the new Manchester United manager, has uh, overseen a couple of friendlies. I believe you've seen at least one of them, John, um, what was notable, maybe, about the win at Wigan, I think it was 2 0 to Manchester United, fairly routine sort of pre season workout, but uh, 7,000 Manchester United fans cheering Jose Mourinho to the rafters, making it clear um, that, you know, whatever about the sort of debate when he got the job, whether he was really the right man, whether he was in tune with the traditions of the club, uh, the fans who turned up to that game wanted to leave no one in any doubt that they're fully behind Jose Mourinho.
1: Those are the, the travelling fans that you know. Those that are are prepared to to go and watch a game at Wigan. They're you know, the they're, they're
2: the ones, the ones who've been, been abusing him at all the matches, matches previously at Chelsea.
1: Hey, football! Being a football fan is a fickle game. Can you know that? Mm. Um, and you know he's uh, well. You know he might be a son of a bitch, but he's our son of a bitch is pretty much the way that they're looking at it now. I'd imagine. Um, to me, it looked a little weird to see Jose Mourinho prowling the. Touch line. In fact, when I switched over to watch the TV broadcast of that, I thought, "Oh, hang on, that's on now." Switched on, and my first sight of it was uh, Jose on the touch line launching, uh, well, a sputum onto the pitch. I thought, <laughs> there's a sort of, you know, a certain sort of Johnny Rotten image that uh, maybe we might be seeing from him. Um, you know, it, 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 but watching the game. Um, what, what, what conclusions can we draw? I remember chatting to, to, to you chaps a couple of years ago about a Manchester United preseason tour where United dazzled under Louis Van Gaal, and we know what happened there. Um, the only thing I would say that, that the observation I would make is that United played a far higher tempo within that the, the, the bit of the game that I saw than they ever did
2: under Van Gaal, which is
1: which is an improvement for me.
2: Yeah, uh, it looks as though Mourinho is probably going to go with a. Um... 4231 for Manchester United this year and that would mean uh, that the starting four in attack would be Zlatan as the center forward, uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan as the right-sided player, Martial on the left and Wayne Rooney as the second striker. How does that look to you?
1: Well, the, the, the thing with that is that um Mkhitaryan looked quite good in that Wayne Rooney position in that, that Wigan game. Uh, certainly more mobile. Um He's, he actually, he, he, there was a bad miss that he, that he uh, committed, but um, I think Rooney is under a certain amount of pressure. Um, I think I think the Mourinho strategy towards him might be that he is perhaps going to give Rooney enough rope to hang himself, and then we can maybe move on from the Rooney thing. Or, or as is as is possible, and Mourinho is. Uh, a supreme motivator of players, and as you know, make, uh, makes players play well for him. He might, he might, you know, see a return to the old Wayne Rooney, but mm. we won't see the Wayne Rooney idling in midfield, playing the Stephen Gerrard attempted Hollywood ball. That's that's for
2: sure. Well, what did you make of that? Because that was one of the more interesting parts of, of Mourinho's you know introductory press conference, where he said this quite cutting thing about Rooney. Um, I mean, the thing that uh, anyone who's who said anything positive about Wayne Rooney over the last six to nine months, will have been talking about how, you know, there would have been people who would have been impressed by his ability to control the game from midfield and his immaculate passing. And Mourinho just scornfully said, well, you know, anyone can pass the ball when they're not under pressure. And um, It struck me as a, as a remarkably cutting thing for a manager to say about a player in, in his uh, opening press conference. It didn't seem as though it wasn't exactly, you know, Wayne is is my number one. Don't He doesn't need to worry first name in the team sheet
1: will be the captain, so that's one part of it. Though, in the past, Jose has uh, not got on with club captains and leading figures at clubs, as we know. I mean, uh, Casillas, there was the odd round with John Terry over the years. Um, As I say, uh, I think uh, you you, you question, I mean, remember three seasons ago, the player that uh, Jose Mourinho wanted to sign was Wayne Rooney. I mean, that was the summer saga. The um, summer transfer saga, and it didn't happen. Uh, and, but they did seem to be very, very uh, close, and a lot of respect between them at the time. I wonder if that can, is continued to this day. That that's something that I'm sure will play out. And I, and I do think that uh, Mourinho will give Rooney the chance to play. Um, obviously, Rooney is a big part of the club in terms of its um, being the club captain, being its, uh, I suppose, commercial. Uh, leader in terms of, you know, merchandising and so on. But, uh, you know, Jose Marino is a football man after all, and he might want to see how Rooney can pl- be as a football player.
2: Yeah. Um, I know, John, that over the week uh, the week just gone, you were uh, spending a bit of time with the Sam Allardyce story. We were to, we mentioned it briefly last week. Um, England are still looking for a but they still haven't made the decision. What do you think is happening here? Given that Sam Allardyce said if the English candidate seems to be the, um, you know, the outstanding choice, why are they taking so long to appoint him?
1: Well, I think there are. They haven't. I think they're in the process or have not yet spoken to other candidates. Now, as you say, the other candidates that are English are not outstanding. I mean, Steve Bruce is one of them. Now. As, as you know, I think Steve Bruce is a decent manager, but an England manager, not for me. Uh, Eddie Howe is another name that's floated. Now, I have a lot of respect for Eddie Howe, and I, I, it's someone that I've, I've, I've uh, did a piece on last year. Spent a bit of time down at Bournemouth. But, um, you know, a great guy, uh, but someone who seems to crave the involvement of being in the club from 5:30 in the morning till 10:30 at night. I don't see that England works for him. Allardyce is the prime man for me. Now, last week, there was this Sunderland press release that went out, I think it was Tuesday, uh, in which they pushed to uh, well, they, they pushed to sort of, sort of get England to push the button to, to say, right, give to Allardyce a job so we've got someone to give the job so we can make plans. T- chatting to somebody up at Sunderland, they seem fairly pessimistic about the chances of Allardyce staying at the club. Um He is the best candidate for the job for me. I mean, there's the Jürgen Klinsmann factor, but you speak to people involved in U.S. soccer, and they will, many of them would would laugh at the idea of Jürgen Klinsmann becoming England manager. Um, Allardyce, to me, uh, he's he's unpretentious, uh, which I think English football needs to lose its pretensions. Um, He plays to a plan, and I think the biggest problem with England at Euro 2016 was... The absence of any plan whatsoever as far as i could gather and just about every other observer i know uh and the other thing about the england team at the euros uh, again hearing from a couple of people was that they were bored out in that sort of high security base in Chantilly. they didn't feel like they could they, they could relax they couldn't enjoy themselves now I don't think I know anyone more in football that knows how to enjoy himself at the right time than Sam Allardyce. And chatting to some people that had worked with him, uh, I chat to a guy called Dean Holden, who played for uh, Bolton under Sam Allardyce. He's a confidant of him these days. Uh, he had a brief period as manager of Oldham. Uh, he now works at Walsall as a coach. And he said that, you know, there's no one better. He relaxes the players. You know, he speaks to them as a player himself. And I think that's what the England players need. I really do think they need that because they just—they seem to go into this England bubble, and it becomes a star system. It's sort of like, uh, you know, like a Hollywood film set where they're all sort of sat in separate parts who've got their own sort of caravan and stuff like that, and it just doesn't work. And I think Allardyce, because of the guy that he is, you, both, you know, you try and find players who have not got on with Sam Allardyce over the years. And that's quite difficult. The only example we could think of between us was Ravel Morrison. Now, that's a slightly separate Mm. case, as we know. I think Allardyce could be a unifying figure. And that's strange because it's Sam Allardyce, but I think he's a good choice and uh, he's a man for me.
2: I agree with all that, uh, John, uh, especially as, as regards how he might get on with the England players. But I do wonder what... The attitude would be of the media because this is the other thing that it, <clears throat> that an England manager has to deal with. Uh, Roy Hodgson had a, I would say, for most of the time he was in the job, quite an easy ride. I mean, it's, people were prepared to overlook bad results and to withhold, you know, reserved judgment um, for quite a long time, considering the miserable World Cup campaign that he uh, presided over. Um, but usually the media is is a little bit more harsh on the England manager. Someone like Sam Allardyce, the one fault that I would say I can note, I can I can see in him quite regularly is a, a kind of a combination of a little bit of egotism and also a little bit of thin skinnedness. Um, you know, when things when he when he does come under a little bit of fire, which I imagine. I mean, you can correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but I imagine Sam Monadice as England manager, there'd be plenty of people who would say, oh, this is a step backwards into the dinosaur days. Sam is a figure from the past. English football, you know, will never uh, succeed unless it moves on from the failed, uh, you know, proper football men and all this kind of stuff. Uh, And that he might actually have a difficult... He he might walk into a difficult situation with some sort of opposition like that from the very beginning. Well,
1: my observation is slightly different to that. Um... I've always found that his dealings with the press are very professional. Uh, I've always found that um, he will give the, what, the, them what they need. You know, he knows that the journalists have got to do a job. He's also pretty popular journalist, and you know, there's a few journalists I know that would, would have Sam Allardyce's number to call and, uh, you know, be able to speak to. He's not impervious to the media. He understands how that works. I think he's, he could get quite a few of them on the side. Um, and one of the things is that, you know, speak, again, speaking to those people that knew him, they say that the, the criticism that he received, it, it does wash off him. He might seem prickly at the time, but he doesn't doesn't stew over it in the same way that maybe other managers might do. Um, i was just thinking of a game that I went to a couple of seasons ago. Do you remember the game where West Ham beat Hull and they were booed from the pitch? Do you remember that game?
2: Oh, was this the one where he was ranting and raving about the West Ham way? Yes, exactly.
1: Mm. Yeah. And... Uh, I mean, yeah he, he ranted on about that, but I, I, the whole time ranting
2: and raving is maybe unfair. He was making some sardonic points about the delusion yeah, I mean, of the is, supporters.
1: he is the master of the sardonic comment he's very good at those mm. you know and i I think he has a sense of humor where I suggested that Roy Hodgson had almost no sense of humor uh, and that that could take him some distance uh, but that game he you know. He didn't seem to care that the, the, the fans had booed him. I mean, he did some sort of wave at them, didn't he? Some sort of sarcastic wave. Yeah. It, does, it doesn't really matter to him. It washed over him. and just you know, The, the word was that it was just, well, that's their problem, not mine.
2: I, really, I really want to see this happen at Wembley. 90,000 England fans uh, in uproar and Sam Allardyce waving at them sarcastically and then criticising them after the game.
1: Well, yeah, I, I, the thing is about that, Ken, I mean... Wembley I've always found, I mean you know, over the last decade or so've been there quite a lot of times, and there haven't been many sort of you know calling for the head of manager games. I mean the, the last one I remember is probably the Croatia Steve McLaren game. Um, it's a pretty happy, clappy crowd. It's pretty you know we are England, we're all together. I think things are slightly different when they're away at a tournament, um, and you know the <laughs> humiliations like Iceland happen. Um, and the thing is, whatever happens that we do know that when Sam Allardyce gets the job, something hilarious will happen to him. That's just the England job. I mean, we can make all these predictions about Sam Allardyce if we wish, but it does seem to send, you know, good men into complete and utter mind-melt. And, you know, there, there are so many examples over the years of that and how things go wrong. It does seem, a, an unlucky job, a job where you're fated for some sort of disaster and shame. But I do think that Sam Allardyce... Of the people willing to do the job, and this is one of the reasons why he is the best candidate for the job, um, he's the best man for the job. And uh, I do think uh, the, thick, the thin skinness and stuff like that, I think that's a decent observation. But I do think he has an ability to, to, to ride that out and not sulk for, for too long.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think he's earned this chance, at this shot at disaster and shame as much as anyone else in the field. Yeah, exactly. uh, John, thanks for uh, joining us on the show today.
1: Cheers.
2: Just a crying big baby But you cannot call
0: a player a baby Game you wanted victory, but I didn't have a weapon. I want victory for every game. Where do you think you got it all wrong today? Which is the game you wanted victory, but I didn't have a weapon? Well, it's just a uh, nervous night. You look frustrated on the Coach. pitch. Which is, is the game you wanted victory, but I didn't have a weapon. You wanted victory. Well, I wanted victory. Which is, is the game you wanted victory, but I didn't have a weapon? Where do you think you got it all wrong today?
2: won against them in the premiership and we never said they yeah, are baby. He's just a crying big baby and you cannot call a player a baby. I do wonder if they will be prepared to let you know Sam go on and do it his way without complaining too much. I mean it just seems as though this sort of preoccupation it's it's obvious that the English football team is never the English national team is never gonna play Guardiola football they're just not going to do it. they don't have technical players who can do it. um maybe they've got a couple, but they don't get to they don't get to spend long enough together to learn how to play that way um
3: yeah, I mean I think what what people are really looking forward to in a Sam Allardyce England premiership um is that he would go in there and that there would be an element of humility involved the I think what people want I mean if you were to ask Danny Baker today for instance what he would like to be said to the England Euro 2016 team who had been gathered together for the the unveiling of their new manager it would be that you guys have won nothing you've done nothing you don't deserve any respect you don't deserve to be asked who you would like or who you wouldn't like to be manager it's big Sam Allardyce now Get it together.
2: Yeah, see, I mean, are you suggesting Sam Allardyce would deliver that? No, no,
3: no, no, no. That it would be another, that it would be an intermediary, an, an FA apparatchik. You know, Sam could come in and then pour a bam on the, the wounds, the wounded hearts yeah. and minds of the England team. But yeah. that the message, I mean, he wouldn't even have to say anything. I mean, they're hiring Sam Allardyce to be their manager. I mean, it's...
2: So I wonder would there be snobbery towards him from the players. Oh, well,
3: the they're players. 100%. There three thousand percent will be snobbers. because there was
2: already reports at the time that oh, they would the players would prefer a foreign manager yeah. because they're not impressed by the available English managers. And you're thinking really like the managers not the foreign managers aren't impressed by the available English yeah. players. So You've you're not going to get Iceland.
3: one. Honestly, you'll take what you're given. Yeah, I think that there. I think that there is a large constituency of the English football world that would. Ascribed to that particular.
2: I I just wonder with this whether it would be whether he come in and this would be like the job that he was born to do and he would sort of flourish in it, or whether he'd kind of freeze, David Moyes like suddenly aware of the awesome responsibility that had been entrusted to him and suddenly thinking about all the details he had to look after and all the things that could go wrong and you know mind sort of going down, you know, you know this kind of way. Yeah. When you start freaking out a little bit about things, I mean, I hope that doesn't happen.
3: And I, th- I kind of think. I don't know that Allardyce is... that You know, I'd say the Moyes comparison is maybe a a good one. I think Allardyce is a slightly different character to David Moyes. Yeah. I mean, Allardyce has got a... His chest is out a little farther than David yeah, Moyes, you know? <laughs> to be fair. I mean, you'd ask Sam Allardyce, if he does get the job, to puff his chest out and enjoy it. But, I mean, I don't think his chest it can be, be puffed, I, I think, any further... Could be a health hazard.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, that's it from us uh, today for the football podcast. If you haven't heard our other podcast today, check it out. We talked to Sam Weinman about the golf. A pretty amazing uh, last day at the Open. we talked to usheen McConville and Carl who were in here talking to us about Dublin's dominance uh, and the, uh, how would you describe it? Awful, awful in the old sense, you know, meaning sort of to inspire you with awe, mm. but also a little bit awful. Uh, scenes that we saw uh, between Tyrone and Donegal Uh scrabbling they, around they for they, battled the, each other.
3: Yeah, They're scrabbling around for the minor placings uh, behind Dublin's uh, eventual but inevitable all ireland final victory uh,
2: So that's already out there Thanks very much to Simon and Jess Thank you to you, Ciarán Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Simon And thank you too for listening and talk to you again on Thursday It's the second time it's gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go. On, they never go